Awesome. Today we get to conclude our series called Gospel Truth, and it has been such a privilege to get to share this series with you guys. And over the last two Sundays, we've talked about not just what the gospel is and what it means from Scripture, but really everything that it pulls us into as Christians and as followers of Christ. And in the first week, we talked about how the gospel is a confrontation. It confronts us in our sinfulness, it confronts us in our complacency, and it calls us forward to follow Christ. We talked about how the way that we get out of our sinfulness, the way that we move out of our complacency is through confession and repentance and choosing to follow Jesus. And if you were here last week, we reiterated this, but hey, first week we talked a lot about bad news. We know that nobody comes to church to hear bad news, but we can't understand good news unless we first understand bad news. The gospel is good news that saves us from our sin. And then last week we talked about how the gospel is an invitation. It invites us into salvation and into relationship with God. Most specifically, we talked about reconciliation and justification, those two things, among others, that God wants to do in our lives in salvation. We talked about, you know, in the first week, we're lost in our sinfulness, but then last week when we talked about reconciliation and justification, we recognized this fact that God does not justify us in our sinfulness, he justifies us in Christ's righteousness. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to conclude and we're going to talk about how the gospel is a deputation. And that's a bit of a different word. I know that maybe some of you have never even heard that word before, but we're going to talk about the gospel being a deputation. Maybe you've seen an old Western movie before where you have the sheriff who's the lone sheriff in town and he's got a big gang of bad guys who are coming in and taking over his town and he needs help. So what does the sheriff do? He goes and he deputizes some other people to come alongside and join his cause to bring law and order back to his town. In fact, the first time that I ever heard this word deputation was when I was 19 years old. I was getting ready to go on a missions trip and we were raising funds individually and for our team to go on this missions trip. And our teachers, our instructors, and the leaders of our trip in our school of ministry there, they taught us about deputation. It's where we would reach out to people who believed in us that we had a relationship with to raise funds, and we would say, hey, we are deputizing you to get on board with our team, partner with us in this mission that God is calling us to. And that was the first time I had ever heard that word before. Let me just give you an actual definition of the word deputation very quickly. The word deputation means a group of people appointed to represent another group or others, a delegation. When we come into this relationship with Jesus through salvation and receiving this gospel message, we are deputized to now be his representatives here on earth. It's as if we, or, we uh, joined Team Jesus here on earth in our lives. And with that said, I want to just give you a thought. I think that a lot of Christians, what we do when we walk into salvation is we tend to think, wow, I've stepped into salvation, I got saved, now I'm going to have a much better life because Jesus is on my team. And I think there's some truth to that, but can I just bring some order to it? We step into salvation, and it's not so much about having Jesus on our team, it's about us being on his team. We join in his mission. We jump into his calling for our lives, for his church, in the earth, and in the world in which we live while we are here in it. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now let's go back to where we started our series, okay? Go with me to Mark chapter 16 today. In Mark 16, what we get is actually Mark's account of Jesus giving the great commission to his disciples. And Jesus has gone to the cross. He's been raised from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. And what we see next is that Jesus is commissioning 
his disciples. And I think one really good way to remember the Great Commission is not just to see it as Jesus sending his disciples, but even still today, we are a part of this, and it is our commission where we are commissioned, but we are commissioning with God to take the gospel everywhere that we go. This is what Jesus said in Mark 16, starting in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And I wanted to read all three of those verses, there are three or four verses, because I think one of the things we have to understand is that the ministry of Jesus speaks for itself, the miraculous things that he did when he was ministering here on the earth. But when Jesus commissioned the apostles or the disciples, and if you could also say commissioning us here in this passage, what we see is that Jesus said, that ministry is not just limited to my time here on earth. You're going to go and you're going to do the same ministry that I did by taking the gospel to all parts of the earth. And Jesus is giving his disciples, again, the great commission preach the gospel, take the good news to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I think sometimes there's a little bit of confusion here because sometimes we ask the question, was the Great Commission just for the disciples or for the first century apostles, or does it still apply to us today? Well, what we know from Matthew chapter 24 is that the return of Christ depends upon the gospel or the message of Christ going into all of the world. And so what we see is that even still today, it's believed that there are still unreached people groups in the world who have not heard the message of the gospel. And with that in mind, that tells me that the Great Commission still applies to us here in the 21st century. Can somebody say amen? amen. So we've got to make sure that we understand that. We are still a part of God's Great Commission. But today, many Christians hear those words and they say, preach the gospel. I don't feel called to preach. I could never preach or teach the Bible like, say, a pastor does. Well, guess what? The good news is that you don't have to be a preacher and you don't have to be a Bible teacher to communicate the gospel message. Why? Because each one of us have the opportunity to preach the gospel through the way we live our lives every single day of our lives and everywhere that we go. So take the pressure off. You don't have to be a preacher, a teacher, a Bible scholar of sorts. All you have to do is live out the gospel message every day of your life and everywhere that you go, and you can preach the gospel just as well as any preacher could ever say it. Preach it through the way you live your life. Now, each one of us have the opportunity to do that because Christ commissions us along with his first century apostles. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 16. I want to show you what Jesus had to say about joining his team, being deputized. We are now on team Jesus. He's called us into that same ministry. Look at what Matthew 16 says in verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, this is the passage where Jesus has just previewed to the disciples that soon he's going to die, he's going to suffer many things, and Peter says, oh, no, 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 over my dead body you're going to die, Jesus. I'm going to see to it that that doesn't happen. And it's there in that setting that Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan, and he rebukes Peter because Jesus knows it's his purpose and his destiny to lay down his life. 
But I want to take a moment and I want to get a better understanding of this passage because I think most of us understand these words. We might even know this scripture really, really well, but we have to really understand what Jesus meant with these two charges that he gives his followers. Let's look at this very quickly. First of all, Jesus says, if anyone, everybody say anyone, if anyone wishes to follow me, the first thing they're going to have to do is to deny themselves. Sounds easy, right? Deny yourself. This word deny here is the same word that Jesus later uses when he tells Peter that before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me, Peter. And when Jesus goes to the cross, we see later on that Peter stands there denying Jesus three times, then the rooster crows. And what exactly was happening there in that picture? This word deny in the original writings, it means to cut off personal association. So think about what Peter was doing. When people said, hey, weren't you the one who walked with Jesus, this guy that's about to go to the cross? And Peter denies that he ever knew him. What is he doing? He's cutting off personal association. So when Jesus looks here at his disciples and says, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. What Jesus was saying is if we want to follow him, we must cut off personal association with ourselves. Now, hang on right here for a minute because you're like, wait, hold on. What does that even mean? See, this is not a command to not care for or be concerned about oneself because we all have needs. That's the way that God made us. We have needs, and God wants to supply those needs and provide for us. But rather, Jesus is saying that if we want to follow him, we must cut off this association where self is the central figure in our lives. We have to cut off this association where myself, where I am the central figure, Of my life. Let me put it to you this way. In other words, Jesus is making it clear. If you want to follow me, you can't be the main character in your story. That's challenging. Because I always see myself as the main character of my story. You guys, you guys are all just peripheral to my story. And I'm probably peripheral to yours. But what would happen if the church of Jesus Christ put Jesus as the central figure in each one of our individual stories? Wow. What the church and the world might look like. We must deny ourselves and make Christ the central figure of our lives. But then he goes on, he says, first deny yourself, but secondly, he says, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Now remember, when we read this passage of scripture, we read it in hindsight because we know that Jesus is about to go to the cross, but the disciples might not yet have figured out exactly how Jesus was going to die. So Jesus looks at him and says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus gives his disciples this instruction before he himself has gone to the cross. And on one hand, Jesus is telling his disciples how he's going to die, whether they recognize it or not. But on the other hand, Jesus is painting a very vivid picture that the disciples would have understood. And here's what I mean by that. You see, crucifixion was a death reserved for criminals who had rebelled against governmental authority. They had rebelled against governmental authority, so now they're sent to death by crucifixion. And after being sentenced to death, a criminal's last act before crucifixion was to carry their own cross, the instrument of their death, to the place of their death. And the picture you have to understand, the disciples would have seen this happening publicly in their lives. This was the final act of complete submission, saying that my fate has been sealed and I am now abandoned to this ending. In other words, when a criminal carried their cross up to the hill to be crucified, it was a final act of submission, just saying, that's it. 
My fate is sealed. It's over with. There's no more fight. The trial is done. I've been sentenced to death. And by carrying my own cross, I'm coming into agreement with this final ending for my life. So for the believer, we must clearly understand that Jesus was instructing all. Everybody say all. What did Jesus say? If anybody wants to follow me, Jesus was instructing all of us, if we want to follow Jesus, we must cut off the association with ourselves as the central figures of our lives and step into a light of complete surrender to Christ's leadership and follow him. Anybody still want to follow Jesus? (laughs) There's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. And so when we get into this picture of following Jesus and taking up the life really that he lived and and following in his footsteps, sometimes we simplify it to a point where it sounds really easy, but it's not always that simple. Another way of saying it is it sounds simple, but it's not easy. (laughs) Following Jesus can sometimes challenge us. Now, let's move ahead, okay? Matthew chapter 5. Go with me to Matthew 5. And It's funny, this year we've spent a lot of time looking at verses from the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 through 7. They're in the first book of the Gospels, first book of the New Testament. So much goodness in there, and it makes me want to just go there and spend a few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. But look at what Jesus says when talking to the believers that he's speaking to. And I say believers because it's very clear at the end of Matthew 7 that while Jesus gets away from a multitude or a crowd, he climbs up on a mount and the disciples are following. By the time Matthew 7 ends, it says that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. So it's not just uh, his own disciples that Jesus is talking to. Other people who are following Jesus have now come around to hear his teaching. Look what it says in verse 13 of Matthew 5. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor... How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, and a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Finally, verse 16. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus here again is speaking first to his disciples, but a multitude of people have now come around. So he's speaking to a broader audience and commissioning them in what it looks like to follow him. And there's two things he points out and two real details that he gives. He says, first of all, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. I think most of us can pretty clearly understand what Jesus was talking about when he said, you're the light of the world, because we're called to shine God's light into darkness, into the darkness of this world, and we're called to illuminate that which is void and unclear to those who are walking in that darkness. But today, it's not as easy for us to understand what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. Because this analogy carried a much deeper significance in the days of Christ and with the audience he was speaking to. So we're going to spend some time today talking for the rest of this message today, talking about what it means to be the salt of the earth. What was Jesus talking about? What did he mean when he said, you're the salt of the earth? There are a few things that stand out that I think most of us could quickly identify when we talk about the characteristics of salt and what salt does. And Let's just go ahead and name the first one. If you're taking notes this morning, what is the first thing we might think of that salt does? Well, number one, salt adds flavor. It savors things. It adds flavor. 
And this is probably the first thing that most of us think of, and probably the biggest reason why is because you go to any restaurant and you sit down at most tables, there's salt sitting on the table. I mean, many of you probably have it sitting on your table as well because we like to put it on so much of the food that we consume. But I want to point out a few things to you, and over these next couple of things that I'm going to illustrate today, some of these are so simple and so practical, but I think it really helps us to understand what Jesus was talking about here, okay? See, notice that the flavor of salt is never enjoyed by itself. Does anybody say, pass the salt, and the person that you're sitting at the table with hands you the salt shaker, and you just take the top off and start pouring that thing down your throat? Like, nobody does that. Salt is never enjoyed or consumed on its own, but rather salt adds flavor by enhancing the thing that it's added to. Talk more about that in just a minute. Salt is never the central flavor, kind of like how we're not supposed to be the central figures of our own story, but instead it's added to bring out the potential of what is already there. And likewise, we as believers are not called to be the central ingredients of God's story, but rather add to the flavors of the kingdom of God, add the flavors of the kingdom of God to everything and everyone that we come into contact with. Everybody following me this morning? Jesus gives this really simple thought, you're the salt of the earth, and we can think, hmm, what does he mean? This one seems pretty obvious, but there was a whole lot of depth to what Jesus was saying here. Now, follow me for a minute, Okay. Think about these examples. How many of you love veggies? How many of you don't? That's like my kids. They're like split down the middle, right? Some of them love veggies. Some of them don't love veggies. For me, I like vegetables on their own, but they take on a whole new flavor when I sprinkle just a little bit of salt on there. And it's amazing how something that to many is bland comes alive when we begin to sprinkle a little bit of salt on it. What about the salt on potatoes? Now listen. This is the 21st century. A lot of you are like, oh no, I cut those out five years ago. Listen, <laughs> where are all my potato eaters in the house? You can carb down if you want. I'm going to keep eating more potatoes for us, okay? It's too starchy. I get it. I'll have yours. Don't worry. But you know, potatoes can be slightly bland, but man, when you sprinkle just a little bit of that salt on there, it's amazing how the contrast comes out and suddenly there's a lot of flavor, the potential of those potatoes comes to the surface. What about this? Salt on watermelon, anyone? Mmm, there's my people. Sweet and salty is a beautiful combination. And the watermelon was good without it, but it's so much better with just a little bit more on it. And then, Ashley and I had some of this last night. Come on, salted caramel, anyone? Stop. God knew what he was doing when he made salted caramel, okay? Like he knew what he was doing. Because the caramel was good on its own, but you throw a little bit of salt on there and son, we're cooking with gas. Right? That's good stuff, is it not? Isn't it interesting that the way salt often enhances flavor, watch, isn't it interesting that the way that salt often enhances flavor is not by conforming to the other flavors that it's added to, but by contrasting those flavor and bringing about something even more amazing. Is everybody on board with me this morning? Similarly, the way that Christ calls us to add kingdom flavors to this world is not by conforming to the flavors around us, but by bringing the contrast. 
See, the disciples might not have thought of salt this way primarily like we do today, but after following Jesus for three years, they most certainly saw that being his disciples meant living life a little bit, a little bit differently than everybody else. Can I tell you something? If you want to follow Jesus, you got to start to embrace the fact that he's called us to live life differently. And that might feel a bit awkward at first. It might feel different. And you might even at times feel like you aren't fitting in. But guess what? When you bring that contrast, you are salting the earth in the way that God has called you to, bringing out all the flavors of the kingdom and doing something amazing that the world can't do on its own. We are called to be the salt of the earth. And if that means being different, then so be it. It's what the Lord has called us to do. And by doing so, what are we doing? We are living our lives like Jesus. Somebody say amen to that this morning. <laughs> Come on. I'll tell you a story real quick um, without spending too much time here. But Pastor Gary has told some of his story before of when he first got called into ministry. And, you know, for those of you that don't know, Pastor Gary is my dad. And I like to brag on my dad a little bit because he gets humble on this. But one of the things a lot of you don't know about Pastor Gary is that when my dad was 19 years old, he moved off to Nashville to pursue a professional singing career. And he had been invited to join a singing group, and that was what he went off to do. Now, here's what's funny about this, is I've known this all of my life, but I remember, you know, years ago thinking to myself, man, dad, you could have been a professional singer in Nashville. You could have been like a star, and you chose to be a pastor. <laughs> hey, and here I am, right? But here's the point. You know, having grown up in church and then moving off to pursue this professional singing career, got around a group of guys that he was singing with and got around other people who did this professionally as well. And I've heard him tell this story so many times, and I don't know if he's explained it this way to you guys, but I've heard him say this. I say, I got there, sang for a few months, was in this group, we were working, we had a lot of work, we were busy. But what I found over time is here we are standing up to sing in the name of Jesus and not everybody's living that life. And it was like there was all these people who were in that industry, not necessarily that ministry, conforming to the patterns of the world around them. And he said, and I began to realize if they're not living the life, this isn't ministry, and I feel called to ministry. And then he went off and pursued what he felt God was really calling him to do. But I'll tell you what, I highlight that today, because God has called us to live a life that contrasts from the world around us. And we need to be okay with that, because we're sprinkling in the kingdom flavors in the world in which we live. Amen? All right, so salt adds flavor. But what else does it do? What else are we called to do if we're the salt of the earth? This is the one that would have been primary in the disciples' thought. Number two, salt preserves. Salt preserves. And again, this might have been the first thing the disciples thought of when Jesus said it. Because in Jesus' day, the value of salt as a preserver was well understood. In fact, because salt was such an effective preserver, it preserved, preserved meat and other goods, it was such an effective preserver History actually tells us that Roman, soldier were some, Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt for their labor. And that's actually where we get the word salary from. Fun fact, the more you know. But it's also the, uh, from where we get the phrase, that person is worth their salt. More fun facts for you. But listen, salt did the work of a modern-day refrigerator without keeping food cold. It preserved the food. Once applied, the salt would preserve and keep meat and fish fresh so that decay would not sit in. Similarly, as believers, our call is to live godly, biblical, Christ-centered lives in an unbelieving world and preserve it from sinful decay. 
Did you know that we are called to play a part in God's ministry of preserving that which God has made and created, preserving the world from sinful decay? Why? Because we've all experienced the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So when we look around and see a world that's lost and dying and decaying, why would we not want to take that same message that saved us and share it with somebody else? It's not just something we should be thinking about, but it's something we are called to do if we want to follow Christ. I want to give you a quick example of this. This is going to sound really practical, but I really feel strongly like the Lord has been highlighting this in my own life and in my heart. About three years ago, I had a retired pastor that I was talking to on the phone one day, and he was going through something in his own family, and we were just talking, and I said, hey, man, just want to encourage him, and you know, he's a wise man who's been around for a lot longer than I have and been in ministry a lot longer. And I said, I'm going to be praying for you. And so I saw him probably a few days later, and he came up to me, and he said, hey, really appreciated your phone call the other day, but can I just give you a tip? And I said, sure. He said, anytime you encounter somebody like that, and they have a need, it's great to say, I'll be praying for you and tell others and be praying as well. He said, but right there in that moment, stop and pray together when they ask that question. He says, because there's power in agreement. And that's stuck with me, but I'll tell you what. I actually talked to our staff about this at staff meeting this past Wednesday because I have had multiple encounters over the last several weeks where somebody comes up to me and just tells me about something that's going on in their life. And we'll stop and we'll begin to pray. And I'm telling you something, the power of God starts working in that moment. And not only that, this is what the Holy Spirit does. You start praying in agreement with somebody who has a need or something going on in their life. You pray right there a a powerful prayer of agreement and declaring God's promises over that situation. Holy Spirit begins to call to mind things and you start praying for stuff that you didn't really recognize in your own natural thinking. It's amazing what God will do in those moments. But here's the thing. All of us go through difficult seasons in our life where we need someone to stand with us and agree with us. How often does someone come up to you and just tell you about a situation in their life that just seems to be decaying? Do you recognize that in that moment we have the opportunity to sprinkle some salt into that need and bring about preservation in their life? Not because of anything that we can do. Think about what God has done for you. He can do the same exact thing for them in their moment of need. We're called to be salt. We're called to help preserve people in those difficult situations. But not only that, Here's an interesting thought. Salt not only savors, but salt saves. When we find ourselves in those moments, you might have somebody who has no faith in Christ come to you and say, here's the difficulty, here's what's happening in my life, and what you find is not just praying a prayer of agreement and faith over their lives, but you might even in that moment have the opportunity to lead them to Christ. I think a lot of us as believers, we let a lot of those opportunities slip right by us. Because we think, I couldn't do that. That sounds difficult. Tell you what, when God opens a door, walk right through it. Be the one who sprinkles that salt that brings about preservation and helps lead people to Christ, especially if they're far from him. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, here's the third thing I want to talk about. And we're going to spend the rest of our time here this morning, okay? We said that salt adds flavor and that salt preserves. But if we are the salt of the earth, what else does salt do? Number three, third and final thing. Salt sacrifices, or salt is sacrificial. It's funny, I was thinking about this, and one of the first things that I thought of when thinking about different things that salt does, anybody grow up in a snowy place, like a place where there was a lot of snow on the ground, the roads could freeze over, and you would sprinkle that salt out there on front of your doorstep so that you didn't slide off when you walked down the path? What about the way that they salt the ground, and sometimes that salt is just trampled over. It's laid down sacrificially, but what it does is it stops the roads from freezing over in really low temperatures. 
So salt, that's one picture of sacrifice that we see where salt's laid down in sacrifice. But I want to show you something interesting. Way back in the Old Testament, God gave Israel an interesting instruction in Leviticus 2. Here we are, everybody's favorite book of the Bible. Come on, go with me to Leviticus. Leviticus 2. Watch what it says here in verse 13. God's command, and every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant. Man, those words. The salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt as well. It was a part of that grain offering. In the Old Testament, God made it clear that offerings were to be seasoned with salt. And Scripture does not specify why God gave Israel this command, but it appears to be symbolic of what God would require in the future, considering that we are the salt of the earth. Anybody see where I'm going with this? In fact, it says quite specifically that you shall not allow the salt of the covenant. Think about it. That's an old covenant, but under the new covenant, Jesus still says we're the salt of the earth. Is there something to be said about our lives being a sacrificial offering that's poured out and pleasing to God? Again, it's within the context of the Old Testament, but here in the new covenant, Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. Rather than offering sacrifices like Israel in the Old Testament, our call now is to lay down our lives sacrificially for others, just as Christ laid down his life for us. Let me give you some scriptural example of this from the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13. He says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And of course, the words of Jesus himself in John 15 He said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend. That's what Jesus did for us. So the call is for us to do the same. Then, of course, in Mark 10, he said these words, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and do what? Give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to conclude here in just a moment, but I want to kind of get a little bit heavier with everybody, if I can, for just a few minutes, and then we're going to wrap up. When you look at the gospel picture of the way that Jesus lived his life for others and eventually gave his life for all of us, what you see is simply this, and follow me, okay? The gospel message is that Jesus sacrificed himself for the betterment of others. I'm going to say this one more time so this really sinks in. Jesus sacrificed himself for the betterment of others. That's us. That's the gospel message. It's sad that today we live in a world where what we see is the antithesis of the gospel happening all the time, where people make choices to sacrifice others or others' well-being for the betterment of themselves. Follow me. I know I've said that a few times, but hang with me because it's getting a little bit heavy, but I'm going somewhere with this, okay? Okay. Let me give you some examples. I remember a few years ago, 
when I you know, uh, started getting more and more phone calls on my phone from numbers that I don't recognize. I don't know if you're anything like me, but if I don't recognize the number, I don't answer the phone. But then over time, this really cool thing started happening because it would show up on my phone on the caller ID. When the phone would ring, it would say, what? Scam? Likely. I was like, hey, how cool is that? Way to go, T-Mobile. Like, you're telling me I don't even have to answer the phone. I mean, I wasn't going to answer it anyway because I didn't recognize the number, but now I know this is kind of shady. I thought that was pretty cool until I started getting lots of those calls. And then I realized our world is jacked up, man. Are there really that many scam artists out there? But here's the thing. We have a good laugh about this now, but a few years ago, I met an elderly woman whose husband had passed away. She was a widow. And she had literally been scammed by somebody out of thousands of dollars because they were calling her over and over and over again. And fearfully, she turned over literally tens of thousands of dollars to these people thinking that she owed them money. Only to have her daughter and other family members come along and find out that she had totally been taken advantage of. Scam artists, fear tactics. And we hear that and we're like, man, can you believe there's people out there that do things like that? But sadly, there is. What's the picture? Sacrificing somebody else's well-being for the betterment of myself. Okay, I told you I was going to get deeper. You ready? One of the biggest problems that we have in our world, in our society today, is fatherless homes. Fatherless homes. I spent a lot of time here, but at the core of this issue and challenge that faces our society is the reality that there are many men who entered into relationships that in a moment of pleasure conceived something that was more than what they signed up for. And upon recognizing what the responsibility was, that responsibility became a burden, and suddenly they realized, I'm not willing to make the sacrifices to see to it that somebody else has a better life. I'm going to sacrifice that relationship and somebody else's well-being for the betterment of myself. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just stating the facts. It's a huge problem in our nation. And it's the antithesis of the gospel message. Now listen, the exact same principle applies to the topic of abortion. And because it's become politicized, the church doesn't like to talk about it. But we've got to tell the truth of what God's word has to say about it. At the heart of the abortion option is saying, this is a responsibility and a burden that I don't want to bear, so I'm willing to sacrifice another for the betterment of myself. And I want to say it again. That message is the antithesis. It's the opposite. It's the anti-gospel. Now stay here for a minute because here's the deal. This is where we're going to conclude today, okay? Scripture makes it very, very clear that there is now. Everybody say now. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Everybody hear that? Sometimes with heavier topics like that, what we tend to do is rather than as Christians take some salt and preserve somebody who's walked through that situation, because that one hits home with us today, even in the church. What we tend to do is rather than sprinkle some salt into the situation for the sake of preserving, we tend to throw salt in the wounds and make the situation worse by condemning, pointing fingers, and throwing stones. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We don't throw stones. We wrap our arms around each other and we embrace one another and bring people into a loving relationship with Jesus. 
See, the truth of God's word is that that option is the antithesis of the gospel. But we have been given good news. We've come into relationship with Christ. We don't throw stones and condemn. We welcome people in and show them what it means to walk with Jesus. Last thing I want to share this morning. We are called to lay down our lives the way Jesus did for others. Sometimes that means getting involved in situations that are a little bit difficult. We're just called to lay our lives down. We might not have all the answers, but God calls us to serve, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and see the best interest in others. As I was preparing this message over the last few days, I saw something so interesting. In certain places, salt, when lightly used, can be thrown down in soil for the sake of fertilizing, to make the soil more fruitful. But in times of war, salt can also be thrown in in massive quantities to bring about destruction. And we as Christians have to recognize that when God calls us to be the salt of the earth, we have to be very, very careful how we go about sprinkling around that saltiness. Because we can either make things more fruitful or we can bring about destruction when we pour salt in wounds. We started this whole series talking about how we gotta understand the bad news before we can recognize the good news. I stand here today in a group of people that I know we have experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ because he saved us when we could not save ourselves. And it's all by the grace of God. So when we're called to be salt and when we're called to be light, we need to see the opportunities around us. Ask God, God, what can I say? What can I do? How can I help? Let him lead us and then choose to sprinkle that salt. Why? To bring about the kingdom flavors in people's lives. To preserve them in situations of decay. And then finally, to lay our lives down in sacrifice in the same way that Christ sacrificed himself for us. And if we can be that kind of church, man, we will go places and do amazing things for the kingdom of God. We will see this world shaken up and changed with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does anybody believe that this morning? Amen. Would you bow your head with me today? God, I'm so grateful that I get to stand with this group of people that love you, that love your word, that love your church. And I recognize there's a couple things I've shared this morning that can be very straightforward. It's not at all my heart to be harsh or condemning, but instead just to look at the truth of your word and recognize that you are calling us in the short amount of time that we are here on this earth to live the same way that Jesus did. So today I pray that we would choose to give ourselves up, to lay ourselves down, to remove ourselves from the central character and the main character of this story and put you right in the middle of it. I pray we would take up our cross and we would just choose this ending, choose this destiny, choose this path you have for us, abandoning all else and following Jesus in a self-sacrificing life. In Jesus' name. For every single person that's in the house today, just with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you where you're at when it comes to a relationship with God. Maybe today you think about your own life and you say, man, I feel so far from God and maybe there's even things that you can quickly identify Say, this has happened, and this has happened, and this has happened, and it's separated me from God. Truth is, we all have things like that in our lives, and there's absolutely nothing that any of us could do to save ourselves and come back into that relationship. But the good news, the gospel, is that God sent Jesus to bridge that gap. His son who came to this earth lived a sinless, spotless life, died on the cross for our sins, paying a price that we could not afford so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and stand right before God. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and come back into relationship with God, I wanna pray a prayer in just a moment. It's not about a magic prayer. 
It's about recognizing, God, I need you. I wanna walk with you. And I'm far from you on my own. If you put your faith in Christ and just repeat these words right after me, I believe that you will walk into this thing we call salvation where you can come into a relationship with God. We're gonna pray a prayer right now and I ask everybody in the house to repeat these words right after me. Just say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. So today I choose you, I believe in you, and I will follow you in this life and into eternity. I thank you for loving me and giving yourself for me. I will give myself for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today and made a decision in your heart to follow Christ, there's no better decision that you could ever make. We want to help you start your journey of faith because this isn't the end. It's simply the beginning of a new journey with Christ. And we have a tool we want to put in your hand. It's called the Next 7 Days. There's a couple of different ways you can get it. As soon as service is over, we're going to have prayer teams right down here near the front of the platform. You can walk up to any one of our prayer teams. They won't embarrass you. You just need someone to pray with you. That's why they're here. But if you made that decision, walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you've made a decision to follow Christ and you want to get the book. They'll give it to you and help you in any way that they can. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. We just want to help you get started walking with God because we are so glad that you made that decision and we want to help you in your journey of faith. Hey, can we put our hands together this morning and welcome some people into God's family? Give it up for Pastor Ann. How about we give a hand to Pastor Zach for that great message? So, so good. Well, as Pastor Gary said earlier, it is great to be home. There really is no place like home. We're so glad to be back with you, our church family. But you know, on occasion, it is also good to go and to see what God is doing in other parts of the world. And so it was just awesome to be able to be with some of our missions partners in Israel and see what God is doing there and actually have the opportunity to be part of what he's doing there in some of the churches with full of Ukrainian and Russian-speaking Jews there. The ministry that is happening there that we as a church are part of is so incredibly fruitful. And then we were in Greece with the A21 campaign and Nick and Christine Kane seeing how powerful their ministry is there and the work they're doing to rescue people from that have been trafficked and it's not just in Greece but across the globe the work they're doing is so powerful and then we were in Spain and with a church there and saw the incredible work that they are doing and some new opportunities there and we are just so proud of you and this church that we are a missions-minded church and every month we partner with our missions partners and people doing work all across the globe and you know we heard today in our message the the great commission that we are told to go into all the world but for some of us we may not physically go but through our giving we can go and bring the gospel to the corners of the 
earth. And so today, as we give, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a missions-minded church and people. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Because as you give each week here at the bridge... It is making a difference going towards these missions efforts that are changing the world with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So on the screens, you'll see the different ways in which you can give. If you wish to give in person today, you can do that. Envelopes are on the chair backs and giving stations are located on the sidewalls just before you exit the auditorium. And another one is located out in the foyer before you enter the Bridge Kids area. But thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving here at the Bridge. And hey, we just want to remind you, we are so excited about Easter weekend coming up, our Good Friday service, Easter Sunday services. And so we have printed up some invitation cards as a little tool for you to use to give to others, to invite them to the services. So as we conclude our service in a moment, you'll see some high-top tables right at the back of the auditorium before you exit. And we've got stacks of those cards. Feel free to take some. Take what you know you will pass out, okay? And take those, give them out. Let's invite people to come to church on Easter weekend. And then, hey, remember, tonight is team night. If you serve anywhere at the Bridge Church in any capacity, this night is for you. We can't wait to see you here at 5 p.m. for team night. All right, have an amazing day. It's been great being in church with you today. We love you.